Yeah, we'll just wait till you make it to the second season of Firefly. All right, there isn't a second season, right? I know you're making a joke, but isn't there? No, I know that they made a movie, Serenity. <laughs> I, this drink hit me really hard. I know, hard. I know. I, That's I've all right. Been, I've been, I've gotten a headshot you, from a finish. You keep flavor. looking. I'll keep talking. There's no second. There's no second season. Are you? Uh, how convinced are you? I'm on Wikipedia. Did you look on Bing? Go look on Bing. How would I look on Bing? Nobody uses Bing. What was the most important user testing tool of 2020? Firefly season two. No, it was not. That's the wrong answer. It doesn't exist. I looked on Bing. <laughs> it says the top the top result says why Joss Whedon hasn't made Firefly season two or a Serenity sequel. It has not happened. You're fucking with me. <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. <laughs> I would ever, say the cat caught your tongue, but I'm the one with the cat here right now. So. You ever just kind of walk up to the microphone and you're getting ready to say something and then just nothing comes out? Yes. That's kind of what just happened to me. <laughs> well, 80, it, it took 80 episodes, 80 episodes, and I'm finally like, I don't know how to start this. This is episode 80. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for jumping in with us. I'm your host, Michael Feenan. And I'm your other, other host, Aaron. How are you doing, Michael? I, I think I was... gave you some good facial expressions there as I was processing, <laughs> like, what, what, what clever thing am I going to say here? And nothing, nothing uh, came out of my mouth. This glorious year of 2021. Uh, if you want to start 2021 with us and do it the right way, run by our sponsors over at New Cloud. You can check them out at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Check them out for interactive maps, illustrations, and things of that nature. Outside of that, if you want to check us out, be sure to swing by Twitter or Facebook. We are slash drunkenux. If you want to catch us on Instagram, slash podcast. Or drop in, chat with us anytime. It's drunkenux.com slash discord. We are social human beings, damn it. And uh, I'm lonely. <laughs> little. Little bit. <laughs> what do you what? got there? I see you have a glass of a brown liquid. Yeah, it's it's it says liquid assets. See, my wife got me these glasses. Uh... And when you get to the bottom of it, it says easy tiger, like in the bottom of the glass. <laughs> um, this evening I'm drinking. Mortlock 16. That is not a Klingon uh, uh, wine of any <laughs> sort. Mortlock. New to me. I had never heard of Mortlock. And in, in all of my journeys and all of my buying, Mortlock was one that was off the beaten path. It's the Beast of Dufftown. Um, hmm. This is the Distiller's Dram. This is a Speyside Scotch. Um, the Bottle. And, folks, uh, I do actually, and just as a plug for our Instagram, I shared a picture of this on our Instagram, but um, look at this oh, yeah. bottle. That's a beautiful bottle. It is, wow. It is a gorgeous bottle. I uh, I like it. It's different. It's got a very, for a space side, it's incredibly nutty. 
Like, I'm not trying to promote our social again, but it's worth going looking at the, our Instagram just to see the bottle because it's a really nice looking it's a, bottle. It's a nice bottle. Like, it's, it's like a, a bottle glass, that I'm looking like at like a glass ice cube. Do, do I get rid of it? Do I stuff some lights in it, turn it into a lamp? I don't know. It, but it's it's nutty. It's it's a little sweet, but not not like a candy sweet or a sugar sweet or a rosy sweet. Mm. It's not very floral. It's got a very sort of nutty, earthy sweet, if that makes sense. Like, if okay. you've ever drank coffee okay. and thought that coffee tasted sweet without sugar in it, like, that sort of... I, I don't know what that flavor is in coffee that, that can make it that way. And I'm probably doing a terrible yeah, job. It's it's also got uh like a very dried citrus. Like if okay. you've ever had like a dried orange or something mm-hmm. like that. Like like not a not a wet, soppy, fresh orange, like a very right. yeah. muted citrus kind of dry citrus flavor. Right. But it's it's got a punch to it. Is it the beast of Dufftown? I don't know. I've definitely really tasted like a relative terms. Yeah. What what does Dufftown have to offer? Like you know, Duff Man. What other kinds of beasts does Duff have to offer? <laughs> what do you got this evening? <laughs> I have. Um, I'm calling it a Finnish sniper. It's it's a White Russian, but it's you're just making sneaky. stuff up now. I well yeah. Um. So it's it's a shot of Kahlua, a shot of vodka, two shots of Bailey's, and then another shot of Kahlua on the top. And so it's basically five shots of liquor in one glass. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Luckily, Kahlua it's, and Bailey's are not. They're like, what, 20%, 23 I, I think they're like, yeah, 40 proof or something. But let me tell you, like, these are sneaky <laughs> because it, it's so smooth. Like, the, the Bailey's and the Kahlua together are just, they don't taste like liquor at all. And so you're just drinking it. And then, like, I'm in, like, my second one. And then I'm like, whoa. So you're saying we have to talk fast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only got one, but I, pour, I poured it heavy, so we'll see. Folks, this week on the Drunken UX Podcast, we are going to be looking at the 2020 Design Tools Survey. This is a survey that was done last year by Taylor Palmer of uxtools.co. Um, he's underscore Taylor Palmer uh, on Twitter. This was something, I've I've seen it in the past, I don't think I saw it last year, but I, I believe in 17 and 18, I had uh, kept an eye on it. And I saw it pop up again uh, in the middle of December, I think was when he released the results. And I went, oh, I forgot that was a thing. Let's jump into that. And I got to looking into it. I'm like, man, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. And I think some interesting stuff that is a direct consequence of last year that's worth talking about. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go through some of these uh, results. I mentioned it came out in the middle of uh, last month. He collected over 4,000 responses. So... A pretty, you know, respectable number of people answered this to make it, I think, useful. Hmm. And the other cool thing is that he released all of the results uh, freely available. You can get this if you go to uxtools.co slash survey-2020. And we'll have links in the show notes as well. So if just run by drunkenux.com. But he's got a link there where you can go just download the survey results. So big shout out to Taylor. Dude, you did great work. I'm looking forward to digging into this. And uh, he started with demographics. This one's easy. By and large, he's uh, discovered that UX designer and product designer were the main titles of people who responded. Huh. So keep that Those in context. Those are very different things, though. They, they are. I think one of the... It depends on what your product is. Right. And I think it also depends heavily on just what your market 
sector is, what your company is, mm-hmm. where, you know, people wear many hats, you know, and <laughs> as a result, you know, there can be a lot of overlap. And I, I think you'll see that in, in the tooling and the processes people reported using that that's where the real overlap, I think, starts to fall. I, I think it's important to emphasize, though, this is sort of a designer-focused survey. This isn't like when we looked over the state of JS or the, the CSS mm-hmm. uh, survey. Um, this is not developer-focused. So right. if you are a developer-designer or designer-developer, I think this stuff will be very useful to you because I think sometimes we don't, you know, we don't always keep up with what the latest tools are because we're too busy doing the other half of our work. One of the things that he mentioned in the demographics that I thought was of interest. 25% of respondents used Windows as one of their platforms, which was up from 18% last year. It's a 7% hmm. bump. And I don't know if that's because of people working from home and they have Windows machines at home. Oh. Or, that, that would explain it. I mean, that would be one explanation. Yeah. And I don't know that there isn't, I don't know that there's a way to distill that from the results that are here. But mm-hmm. it would be interesting to know uh, if that's just a, a skew because people aren't in their offices. I've always chosen to work on my Windows machine, but I'm also developing inside a VM that's running Linux. So <laughs> the other side of demographics that I thought was interesting, a huge number of the respondents, most, <laughs> were three years or more experience. Huh. So there's like there is a distinct weight to people all the way up to 10 plus years, like the three. It's three groups, three to five years, Mm -hmm. six to 10 years or 10 plus. And those three were all hovering right about a thousand people. I see it. Each responded to that, leaving less than a thousand with two years or less. Right. There might be some selection bias there. Like maybe if you've had three plus years experience, you feel more comfortable responding to a survey like this, but it's, or you're more likely to see the survey to begin with. Yeah. Like you're tuned in to the news and, and your industry stuff that you're reading that you see the link pop up, whether Reddit or, you know, uxdesign.cc or one of those. But with, with the, the three years plus, um, I don't have a whole lot to say about that, except that I do find it interesting that there is a lot of experience bleeding through. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what that means. I don't really know. I don't, have a good answer like is it bad that we don't have as many people two years or less that are chiming in does it mean we have less people coming into the industry i don't know that's a good point it it could mean that it it kind of points to maybe this idea of perhaps maybe market saturation like we have a lot of these ux people already and there aren't more entering a pipeline or there's fewer entering a pipeline so maybe like we ramped up quickly, filled a lot of these positions, and then uh, we haven't had we've had to decrease the pace. That's that's one thing that I think is missing from some of these results is I, I do think it would be interesting to have some third party context added into it. Like, say, you know, here's here's what the respondents said about their experience. And then if you go to, you know, if you look at Monster.com's, you know, research from last year. Here's, mm-hmm. you know, here are the number of jobs that they posted and, mm-hmm. and had filtered. Something there to just mm. kind of contextualize some of that information would be cool. But um, you can do that yeah. on your own if you if you really want to know. <laughs> I know we don't have this in the notes, but I right next to that chart is a chart that has how many employees work at your current place of employment. 
I was surprised by this. I was expecting maybe like a bell curve distribution, but it's pretty leveled out for most of them. It's right around 200 to 600, except at the 11 to 100 size, which is 1,200 people or 1,200 companies and uh, 1,000 plus, which has 800 companies or 800 entrants. I do think that would benefit from being spread out a little more. Mm. Like yeah. the difference between a company with 11 employees and a company with a hundred employees, mm, mm-hmm. like, like that's that grouping right there. Like it's, it would be yeah. like the, the 101, the 500 feels better because it's like when you're talking hundreds of employees, you're right, kind of at a, right. a, a, a same-ish scale, but I would have liked would to have wanna, seen like, I an, would want to know, like yeah. I would have at least liked to have seen maybe like an 11 to 50 and then a 51 right, to a hundred right. maybe to kind of break that up because I think that would I think that balance would tell a story. Yeah, like one to ten is kind of um, where a startup eleven to uh, eleven to fifty is sort of where a successful startup or where a startup that is succeeding presently. When we get above fifty, it's like okay, we're serious now. So yeah, that would have been a good segmentation and, there. And what is it about? And I'm just doing math in my head here. About fifteen percent um, identify as freelancers. Oh, uh, yeah, six. Six hundred, six hundred, six hundred out of four thousand. I think that's yeah. I, I actually, I think that's exactly fifteen percent, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Not that drunk yet. <laughs> okay. Brainstorming is his next section. This one's interesting because it, it definitely lend, lends itself to a company where you're part of a team. Because if you're mm-hmm. a one man army, you're probably not brainstorming a whole lot. At least not like collaboratively. Um, you may be doing it certainly by yourself or. or something along those lines, but the, the tooling and the answers are very much geared towards a, you know, how do you brainstorm with people uh, type of situation, mm-hmm. which can also, you know, not necessarily mean that you're brainstorming with other UX designers or other web developers. Maybe you're brainstorming with marketing. Maybe you're brainstorming mm-hmm. with HR. Maybe you're brainstorming with um, your, your uh, C-levels or something like that. Like, it's entirely possible that you are brainstorming with non-technical people because they may be your stakeholders and you're trying to assess what's the value in, in, you know, a certain feature Mm -hmm. or what, you know, what is it they're trying to get at or what new market segment are they looking at? So that's something to keep in mind. I think a little bit there. He says here, uh, Miro had absolutely massive growth this year, likely due to an increase in remote workers. Miro grew from being used by 5% of respondents in 2019 to 33% in 2020. This to me also feels like it falls like if you googled I I need like a an online whiteboarding app, what should I use right. and Miro's just the first result there. Have you used Miro before? I have used like a like the demo whatever version of it, um but not recently and not like to any length. We use it at my job and I got to say like the hype is real. Like you could use it for Pretty much anything. Like, if you imagine anything you can do on a whiteboard, you can very easily do it on this. And what's, I I think the thing that I think is most remarkable about it is that when you have multiple people in the same session, you see their mouse cursors moving around on the screen. Figment, you can see what they're doing. Okay. But also, you can infinitely scale in or out, and everything is vectorized. So it all scales evenly. So we have, I used, I used Miro. Uh, a couple months ago to do a, a flow diagram of where 
I was documenting one of the processes we had that was really high touch. Like it bumped around a bunch of different classes and files. And I wanted to sort of show this is how this particular request is going to flow through everything. And and I, you know, I initially started out at like one scale and I had to keep zooming out. But I was really impressed that like, you know, the font gets smaller, but it scales pretty smoothly and all the graphics are all vectorized. They don't get weird. I'm sure we're not using it for UX specifically. We're using it for a lot of different things. But just as like a general whiteboarding tool, it was just real amazing. And I, we are not sponsored by Miro, although if you would like to sponsor us, I will happily say this every episode. You toss us a few bucks, that'd be cool. You know where to find <laughs> us. The, the thing that stood out to me in the brainstorming section, though, is that A, Figma was ranked the second most used tool, with Sketch and cool. Adobe XD as third and fourth, though they were pretty huh. distant at that point. But the thing is, we're, in the, we're talking brainstorming. We're not talking about the other, you know, other uses, right, like their main uses. And so the idea that people were using like Figma as a brainstorming tool is kind of interesting. And I would be curious to see what that even looks like. Now, I don't use Figma like as a designer. I'm more a consumer. As as a developer, <laughs> my designer gives me the Figma file, and so I have to go in there and right. pull stuff out of it. So I don't have that that base layer of interaction with it. So I would be interested to know what what that means like what does brainstorming in those tools look like and you're gonna this is gonna be a recurring theme so just brace yourself uh for that the other thing that was left out though and he notes this and and taylor mentions this in the results um he intentionally left pen and paper out and like traditional whiteboards (laughs) as a consequence for obvious reasons because 2020 people weren't collaborating in person I, because right. I would right. say, like, if you wanted me to sit, list my best brainstorming tool, it's a giant yellow legal pad and a pen. Yeah, That's, same. <laughs> I, you know, I go through that process for my brainstorming, and because I rarely take that and need to translate that directly to something digital. Usually, mm-hmm. I will translate it to digital, but I'm translating parts of it as artifacts or something like that. So, all right, look, I swear we're not sponsored by Miro oh, yet. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna say one last thing. I think for brainstorming purposes specifically, like you want a tool that really is not going to lock you into anything specific and is highly collaborative and has a lot of space. You can kind of just let your idea kind of explode and explore. And that is something that Miro definitely excels at. So I I am not at all surprised that it topped it out. I have not used Figma. Um, I think I've seen a screen cap of it, but I haven't used it. I have gotten stuff from XD and Envision. Yeah. Um, Miro did score a 4.4 on satisfaction from people too mm-hmm. as well. So clearly well, not just well, like well used, it's well liked. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would use Miro for like mock-ups or whatever as much. It's it's not rigor, it's not structured enough for that. But for brainstorming, it's amazing. Yeah. So, but to that point, so for UI design, your top three tools mm-hmm. were Figma, Sketch, and XD. I mean, yeah, no, that makes sense. No surprises there at all. Yeah. Figma, interestingly, unlike the other two, Figma's showing, though, was strong regardless of uh, what platform you were using. So Mac, Windows, didn't matter. Figma ruled mm-hmm. the roost for both. Sketch um, is macOS only. So they are limited in that way. You know, they they made a choice, and that's the choice they made. And I know people love Sketch, but... The fact that it is macOS only obviously limits its reach. XD is 
well, A, XD obviously, uh, <laughs> not obviously, but XD <laughs> came out better on Windows than Mac OS, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I kind of would have expected maybe more. But I do have to say, I am still surprised XD is not more popular. I I cannot. Every time I see XD, you I see, see that face. You see the emoji. The, I know. I I do. I I can't not see it. And maybe they should it's lean kind into of that. annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of wondered if they if they were intentionally doing it. I don't know. Experience design. I mean. <laughs> Oh, is that what that means? <laughs> I was yeah, like, just now extreme there, design huh? or something. <laughs> but no, I, I really am because the thing about it is, and I, I've talked to designers who use Figma and who use Sketch and Envision and all of these, and pretty much universally, they all say, yeah, XD is free and you're getting what you pay for. Like, it's not as good as the others, other options that are out there, but it's free. And when you figure yeah. the number of people who are out there freelancing or who are working at companies that are small and aren't looking to dish out a lot of extra subscriptions to stuff, since you probably already have a subscription to Creative Cloud for Photoshop and or Illustrator at the very least, uh, the fact that XD is right there, I just feel like that would be a market opportunity that people would take advantage of more, but they haven't been. I've said that before. That's... That has come up in the past when we've talked about these tools, and I'm still surprised by it. And I, I would love to hear other if if you have used any of these, including XD, and don't like XD. I would be interested to know what your like specific complaints are about it because it just it feels usually when something is free, that's a big you know WordPress. We hate WordPress, mm. right? Every every devil, well, most devs will say, yeah, we don't like WordPress, but we use it because it's free. And mm-hmm. it's out there, it's, it's got everything, you know, it's not perfect, but, you know, I'm, I can't go get Experience Engine or something like that, um, or what, what is it, uh, whatever Adobe's uh, uh, CMS is that costs, you know, mm. $120,000, you know, obviously we're not doing that. <laughs> so we're going to swallow the pill and do WordPress, and, and XD just feels like you'd be swallowing the pill. And I have used XD. I like XD. I don't think it's perfect but it's good. Like it's good enough that I don't want to pay for Figma. I would use my free XD and make do. Um, mm-hmm. But that's me. And like I say, I, I am a developer designer. I am somebody who doesn't do that stuff full time. So I am maybe not nearly as sensitive to the quirks or the failings because I just, I don't use it deeply enough. Prototyping, which is an extension of UI design, but is separate. There was an interesting note on it for uh, the leader. Over the last few years, there have been three different top tools. Every year it has changed from Fig- or uh, from Envision to Sketch to Figma, which, hmm. which is interesting uh, because each one of those has like been super hot. And it's it'll be interesting to see, okay, so is Figma going to hold out on this or are we literally waiting until the next new thing in a month? Right. Though I think it says a lot about what we've been learning about these tools in the industry because before, like, Envision came along, we had Balsamic, you know, like... We, I remember that, yeah. We had tools like that, here. which... I liked Balsamic, actually. Um, it was an, yeah. uh, an Air app. Uh, it was really no frills. I, I, I like that about it. Low, low fidelity, it low Black, fi. white, and red. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good tool. 
but obviously n- no real surprise there in terms of mm-hmm. of what came out. The one I liked, and it wasn't the most popular. Um, it was this like the seventh most popular, was plain old HTML JavaScript CSS. It made yeah. the list, and while seventh isn't third. <laughs> The fact that it was there was interesting. It also carried a pretty heavy weight towards being the secondary tool people were using rather than the primary. But mm-hmm. it, I think, speaks volumes towards the tools that we're putting in place. So think about CSS frameworks. Like, you know, if you go go look at Tailwind's homepage right now. And mm-hmm. on their homepage, they have a live coding example of some HTML. And as you're watching it, classes are getting added to elements. And the element on the left, the visual piece of it, is actively changing as they're adding classes to stuff. And basically doing live prototyping. And Foundation has pushed this. Bootstrap has pushed this. You know, every... CSS framework is designed around this idea of, yeah, just go set something up real quickly and just throw some utility classes on it and you're good to go. Um, and it's interesting to see that happening um, and still mm-hmm. happening because I think as you get pattern libraries built and really learn your own design system, I yeah. think that live prototyping approach becomes not just faster but more useful as well, uh, quite frankly. I like the idea of using regular HTML, CSS, and JavaScript because it's going to give you the closest, like the co- closest facsimile to what you're actually delivering. But, um, but man, the other tools are a lot better for that. I'm, I'm just thinking about even Balsamic, like yeah. you know, like you don't want. P- I, th- I think when you're using the real stuff, when using HTML and CSS, it's too easy for it to unintentionally start to look like it's maybe supposed to look and then you get people getting distracted away yeah. from focusing on the layout and more on well this isn't going to be blue right we don't want blue we want right. orange but well yeah i know it's not going to be blue it's going to be orange I, but, I think a lot of it um, depends on where you are in your product life mm-hmm. cycle yeah yeah because if you are for so a good example here you know we've got a landing page system and we get information from marketing to build page X. And so what we will do is we will set up a call with marketing and do a screen share and in real time set up their page with them so we can close the feedback loop on it rather than setting something up, emailing them, waiting three hours for a response. By that point, we're at lunch, so we're going to be about, you know gone for another hour, get back, make changes. And by the end of the day, it's taking you all day to make a simple page, whereas a 30-minute phone co- or video call with a screen share and you can set something up. And in that environment, when you've already got all of your artifacts, I think it's very quick to do that kind of prototyping as opposed to I'm creating something new from scratch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't have templates yet. We don't have a pattern library. We don't have CSS set up for this. And I think that I it would influence how useful Figma is over HTML, you know, straight HTML or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, or to a lesser extent, one of the tools down this list is Webflow. Oh, remember that? Which is a site builder. Um, 
so people <laughs> are funny. using different tools to kind of a- approach this from a hey let's just make html standpoint webflow is um notorious is not the right word but infamous famous for uh the quality of the HTML they output and uh, how simple their tools are to use. So that was episode 63 in 20 mid 2020. We had um, EJ Mason and Ruben Nick on from Webflow. Yeah. Talking about the accessibility um, features yeah. they were rolling into their application design systems. Now I want to talk about this because I, I get the results. I don't like the results, at least from a semantic standpoint. So the, okay. the top tools, the top three tools for uh, which software do you use for managing design systems? The top three tools are Figma, Sketch, and Adobe XD. Again, not a huge okay. surprise here. Like, you know, these tools are used in those aspects. But the reason I don't like it is I don't think they manage design systems. I think yeah. they are... One of the things you do when managing a design system. But I don't know that I would say that those tools individually manage a design system. And somebody will disagree with me on this, but that's okay. Figma, so I have, like I said, I haven't used Figma. I have heard a lot about it. And I've heard people picking it out because of the design system aspect. And on the. On their website, they specifically call out design systems by name. So I maybe maybe that's part of the reason people go and use it. I think there's that. a I lot know. of cross-pollination between the words design system and pattern library. Sure. I, I think we That's that's a good point. I think we use yeah. those really interchangeably and we shouldn't <laughs> because they are very different like, things. Like how UI and UX get yeah, used interchangeably. Yeah, yeah, very similarly, actually. <laughs> the thing is Tools like Figma, Sketch, and Adobe XD, they're, what they're going to do really well is manage your patterns, manage your artifacts, your components, your tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen entire style guides put together in Figma. Right. But to say that Figma is managing that style guide, I would disagree with. It's right. being used to edit it, but it's not managing it. And if it's trapped inside of Figma... Mm-hmm. then it's definitely not managing because a design system philosophically to me a design system is meant to be accessible at least to everybody in your organization and everybody in your organization does not have access to your figma probably unless you've got right you know big accounts and there's so there's an article over at uxdesign.cc everything you need to know about design systems go check it out um, first and foremost but design systems are composed of things that figma and sketch and xd don't do you need design principles and values written into it. Well, that's an abstract concept that you write down. Mm-hmm. That's not something you manage in an application. You do have a style guide. You do have a pattern library, but those are pieces of the design system. You may include mm-hmm. a voice and tone document inside your design system because the content you create is part of your design. And above probably all else, you're going to have a ton of documentation. and Storybook is listed um, as one of the is the fourth most used tool. Yeah. <laughs> I've never used that one, but I find interesting looking at the chart. Um, so the chart has broken down uh, like a black bar for used as primary tool, and then it's stacked with a gray bar used as secondary right. tool. 
And Storybook is the only one that is disproportionately used as a secondary tool. Why is that? I've never used it. Storybook is a secondary. It, I mean, it's meant to be a secondary tool because Storybook is a pattern library. It's frequently used okay. for demonstrating things like web components. Um, it's incredibly powerful. The the one thing, I, and they, they have a name for it now, and I'm, I'm not going to remember what it is. Um, you When you set up like a web component, you can set up a bunch of options that go along with it, and all of those mm -hmm. become toggles and checkboxes and input boxes and sliders down below, which becomes really useful for running tests. So if you were to do something like build a web component, you could write a test that could toggle all of these options and check the output. Kind of look at so it, it's incredibly useful. It's a bear. Like it is a dense piece of software, but it comes bundled. Like if you're building web components with something like OpenWC, it comes bundled uh -huh. with that. So when you spin up a, a web component, it'll just launch oh, Storybook okay. with it and your web component will be deployed inside Storybook. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Very cool. Very dense. It can, however, fill some of the gaps I've been talking about because mm -hmm. Storybook can be deployed as just a thing people can go look at. You can include documentation in it. You can include style guide stuff in it. You can include any mm -hmm. extra, you know, you want to have your logos defined and, and uh, uh, trademark rules and things like that in it as well. You can do all of that. I use Fractal. I really enjoy Fractal. It also kind of falls in this. Fractal is by nature a pattern library, but it also has a really robust markdown system where you can include all your extra documentation. So when you want to articulate your design principles and your design values as part of your design system, you can include all that in there just by throwing in a few extra markdown files and it creates pages for you. Um, so it covers both the, the things, the tokens, the artifacts, the patterns, but also the how and the what and the why of documentation and marries those together. Mm -hmm. Other killer thing about Fractal that I love, I don't think you can do this with Storybook, but again, somebody may prove me wrong on this because I just, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the build process on it. But with Fractal, right. you can build it out to GitHub pages. So huh. we're building out a, a GitHub repo with our pattern library in it with Fractal. Yeah. And when you commit to it, It'll automatically run the build and deploy to GitHub pages. And that's all right. That's right. And so it'll be a living document that is there for everyone to see. Um, and then it, if we hire a third party designer to come in and help us with a project, we can just be like, oh, and go to this page and here's our entire design system. If uh, to give this a different metaphor, this one's going to be good, I swear. Have you ever, you, you have watched uh, things called TV shows on the color television? On the color television or black and white, uh, depending on... I mean, you're older than me, so maybe yours were silent. I don't know. I keep forgetting I'm older than you because you have a giant beard and I don't. I got you on that one. <laughs> uh, I almost made him spit his drink out. So, you did. <laughs> but uh, in, in seriousness, though, when you watch a TV show across several episodes, do you ever think about the fact that every episode of that show was probably directed by somebody different and written by somebody different? No, I I see that when I look at the episode lists on Wikipedia, like if I'm trying to find a specific episode, but I don't think about that while I'm watching it. But you, you've never had to think about it because your shows are consistent from episode to episode, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Do you know right. how that happens? I'm guessing there's like a document of some kind that establishes the show's 
the, there's a idiom. person who is the document. It's they're yeah. called the showrunner. Okay. So one of the reasons why The Walking Dead started to suck uh, after the second season was because uh, Frank Darabont <laughs> was showrunner for it and got fired. And so the show changed <laughs> as a consequence of that. Huh. And so that's kind of a, an example of what happens. That's what your design system is meant to do. It's meant to be your showrunner for your digital properties so that if people are coming in and out, they can all dance to the same song, so to speak. I'm really all over the place with these metaphors. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna say I, I don't love the idea of Figma being a tool used to manage a design system. Though I do understand why it's listed there. I think, I think the the idea is bigger than that. I guess yeah. is the way I I would put it. It anecdotally, I've been watching The West Wing for the first time all the way through, and um, I read on Wikipedia that. Uh, even though we kind of attribute the show to uh, Aaron Sorkin, uh, I guess he was only writing the show for the first three seasons, right? And after that, it was a different writer. It was one of the rather original writers, but it's a different writer. Um, and I've just crossed the threshold into the fourth season. And so I'm I'm kind of curious to see like what what is different about it, like what feels different, not Sorkin-esque. User testing is uh, as we we're we're running up on the tail end of these uh, little bits of of tidbits. What is the most important user testing tool of twenty twenty? I can see the show notes, well, but I would also I also was in the last episode. I'm trying to set you up I'm, here. I know I'm a little drunk, but even without the show notes and having been in the last episode, I would say video conferencing of some kind. The show notes indicate Zoom. I would agree with that. And the show notes indicate Zoom because the survey indicated Zoom. Yeah. Zoom is the clear winner here, especially as it becomes a household name. Anecdotally, for those in the United States, it's mm -hmm. like calling a bandage a Band-Aid or calling a tissue a Kleenex. <laughs> I hear people calling any sort of video conference a Zoom call. That's a, that a is source. so confusing. I've had, I've had people tell me we're going to do a Zoom call and then they mean, they mean Hangouts. Or like a Skype call or something, but they just say, "Oh, we'll have a Zoom call later." But they don't mean using Zoom. Yeah, and it's yeah, we're we're not quite past that uh, disassociative <laughs> step yet with a uh, Xerox, for instance. Um, right. I actually don't use Zoom a whole lot. We do most of our stuff through um, just Google Hangouts. But of course, at work we've got right. like Google Apps. So, but yeah, it, interestingly, and you know, to kind of throw back to the start, right? Miro is a great brainstorming tool because it's really mm -hmm. generic and doesn't try to like be one thing. Zoom yeah. consequentially because it's just a good uh video conferencing platform and screen sharing platform, it just sort of lended itself to being good for helping with user testing. Have you seen all the like power features on Zoom like breakout rooms and um you can do crazy stuff with moderation and I don't know. I, I've I've been in some Zoom calls where it was like, wait, what? You can do this with Zoom? I haven't. Uh, like I said, I don't use it a whole lot. Most of the time when I'm in a Zoom, it's mostly just me clicking the button and sitting back and listening to whatever's happening. So that's right. That's right. my experience with it. But I do get what he's saying, though. Yeah. Like, and what you just said, 
people say Zoom a lot when they don't mean Zoom because there are a lot of competitors to Zoom. There are a lot of other platforms. Mm -hmm. You and I are on a video conference right now through Discord. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's just as good by all measures at that point. Mm -hmm. But people will shorthand it that way. Interest, it's interesting, um, but I think the the takeaway that I get out of that is this idea that it's kind of the ultimate example of necessity being the mother of invention. Mm, mm -hmm. People couldn't user test face-to-face -face in the same room, and they said, what do we have available to us? Well, we already have a subscription to Zoom, so how about we figure out how to make that work? And they did. <laughs> right. And the fact that Zoom wasn't trying to be prescriptive on features or force people into a box made it just kind of work for that. Um, and I think right. anecdotally, you could do that with I, I could do that with Discord right now. You know, I could do a lot of mm -hmm. those same things at that point. But just the general idea of people figuring out how to do remote user testing has been big. Right. He also discovered 23% of people don't do user testing. That's kind of surprising. I Maybe not. I don't think it's surprising. I do think it's sad. Yeah. I would say we don't do enough. I do wish we did a lot more, um, but I would probably say that no matter how much we did. So, <laughs> <laughs> the I think where this gets a little more interesting is people were a lot more critical of these tools too. Whereas, I think the watermark for you know the prototyping tools and the brainstorming tools and all of those are already really high, and people are really satisfied. Mm -hmm. User testing. Look Back and Maze were the only two that scored over four stars. Everything else was lower. Yeah. So Usability Hub, Marvel, and, and User Testing were all 3.8 to 3.9. And then Look Back and Maze were 4.0 and up. It is interesting to know that people are using these tools, though. I think we've mentioned Usability Hub in the past. I don't know what their model is necessarily like now, but it used to be you go, you know, throw five bucks at it or something. Um, or is that, no, there, there was like a site where that was like, that it was like $5 usability test.com or some, it was something like that. <laughs> um, but the idea is you can go in and set up a test with, you know, with goals that the user is supposed to go, uh, pursue in an interface and the system will ask them the questions and track where they're clicking and what they're doing and ask them why they did it for you and then return the results to you. So, I mean, it is very useful. Uh, it would be interesting, and, and maybe in the raw data, some of this is there, but I would be interested to like know if anybody gave comments on the platforms, like why they did or didn't like Usability Hub or Look Back or, or what have you. Looking at the full graph, it's, it's interesting that um, Zoom as a primary tool is just about as much as Maze, the, the next runner-up, as a primary plus secondary tool. Yeah. So Zoom, Zoom is roughly 500 respondents, and Maze is, in total, between primary and secondary, just over 500. And then Usability Hub is, what, 450, looks like? And Look Back is about 400. And those are all total. Zoom's combined like composite score is like nearly 800 Eight, between primary 51. and secondary. And I think that I, we've talked about this on the show a bunch of times about how your user testing and usability testing doesn't need to be anything complicated it's and i think that this just underscores that like you can get away basically just doing screen sharing and having the person use the thing while you watch them do it yeah 
and that's enough. Yeah, there, there's sort of that 80-20 rule, right? Like if you can get 80% of what you need, that, that last mm-hmm. 20% starts to go up in cost. You know, for each right. percentage point more that you want to do, it gets a you know progressively more expensive and labor intensive. So if you wanted to get like a you know a ninety five to ninety eight percent quality test, so to speak, mm-hmm. the cost of doing that for you goes up exponentially. Um, to start chasing, those. I'm really curious. I'm really curious about what the value proposition is of tools like Maze or Usability Hub or Lookback.io, um, compared to just doing a no frills you know, watching what you do, usability test. Numbers. Because I, I, yeah, like it tracks stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, you can go out and poll a hundred people, but you can't watch a hundred people. Like, right. you know, you, your eyeballs don't scale, but software does. So you can, okay. as a consequence, and still relatively cheaply, like you can get a lot of that information for the same cost probably as, you know, the $150 gift card that you're giving somebody to sit mm-hmm. in your office with you for an hour or on a, you know, obviously a Zoom call for yeah. their time. So now that does mean the uh, the sort of depth of information you can get is also much shallower, though. But mm-hmm. I think the other way to look at that is it's kind of like analytics. You can use Google Analytics and get a shit ton of information out of it. But realistically, you may only be tooled up to address really superficial things right now you know you may only have the bandwidth to deal with you know very small things so if you can't dig into that deeper more meaty kind of result um then why are you paying for it right you know right um so it's just it's a balance right it's just balancing your needs with what you can execute on and quantity over quality in some cases you can get to that (laughs) point where it's like yeah we don't need a hundred people to tell us it's hard to use our search we want to talk to three people real deeply and really look at why it's hard to use um and then i i think there's a transition point basically like i think it's really valuable to start i think those those mass tools and those automated tools can give you the superficial information and the scent it'll give you the scent of where your problems are and then you can spend the more meaningful time and money going right at that scent with a few people over like shared screen shares or, or eye tracking mm-hmm. or, you know, those kinds of things. Oh, okay. All right. That's an interesting feature I had considered it just having like really large aggregate testing of basic tasks and then kind of checking your funnel, like a, like a very focused funnel of analytics yeah. to see how well they accomplish the task. Or how, like how long it takes. I guess with tools like Inspectlet and other um, spying tools, you can really dig into seeing exactly what they're doing while they're doing it. And the only difference is that you can't ask them questions while they're doing it. But I guess you can still get an ample amount of information so that you can ask better questions during your like guided sessions. Yeah. Okay. All right. I can see. I see the benefit there. So he wraps up, uh, Taylor wraps up on this with the 2020 Designers Toolkit, which is just sort of a, a uh, Cliff's note of what the top tools were in each section. And I just oh, want to call this out. That's cool. There is so much Figma. <laughs> yeah, it's basically, it's Miro for brainstorming, which I 100% agree with. And then it's Figma for everything except user testing. So 
user flows, UI design, prototyping, handoff, design systems, and versioning are all Figma. Figma, 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 Figma. So the question I want to end on for you is, is Figma at risk of becoming a jack-of-all-trades, master of none? Are they trying so hard to do all of these things? And at the moment, it seems like they are, in fact, doing them well. Mm -hmm. But is that sustainable? I've never used it, so I don't really know. Think of it from a business standpoint. What happens if Sketch were to decide, okay, we aren't satisfied being Mac only, we're going to launch a Windows version? What if Adobe yeah. revamps XD and addresses all of the concerns there and still keeps it free? Like, I, I wonder how protected Figma is in this space as they start doing all of these different things and they handle, while there is a lot of overlap in functionality, maintaining all that functionality and maintaining it well is increasingly time-consuming. I want to know more about Figma. Go get a subscription. It's a good tool. I'm not oh. going to lie. Like, as, as a developer, going into it and accessing designs through it is nice, and it, it works very well. It's really easy to read out the CSS especially and see exactly what my designer made. Um, I don't hate it. Uh, but, like, we have a style guide in Figma right now, but... I have to take that out of Figma because I need other people to have access to it. So it's like to go back to the con the idea of like design managing a design system. Like it was the style guide was built in Figma, but I can't manage it there. I have to manage it in an external service, which is going to end up being fractal. But the the pricing for Figma is not bad. Um, it's free for two editors or three projects, and then if you bump up to slightly bigger. It's $15 per month per editor, unless you pay annually this small discount. But if you do an organization, it's $45 per editor per... Wait, what's the benefit of that? A lot more. Oh, it's for design systems. I don't know. There's different... It, it's, it seems like the pricing seems fair, especially given how, much it, how well it performed on this survey. So to finish up here, um, the, he actually does have one more section, and I wanted to break this out a little separately as kind of our own wrap-up on the episode. He talks about you know the most exciting tools for 2021 and the things that people are interested in getting into. Now, obviously, Figma is number one on that list, as it turns out. The, the thing, though, that I want to call out is throughout these results, Webflow popped up just here and there. It's one of the tools listed as uh, pe uh, the ones people are most interested to learn. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it came up in prototyping and UI. And you don't see other site builders. Squarespace isn't in there. Wix isn't in there. I think that's interesting. I think it's a testament to the tools Webflow is building and to the this idea of can Figma continue to reign supreme? I don't know. Because if Webflow keeps doing what they're doing... I think they have the potential to start building tool sets that may actually start to encroach on some of that territory. But it depends on what they want to do with their business model because they are, I think, first and foremost, you know, they, they are a site hosting platform that just happens to have great tools. If those tools start to translate yeah. out outside, I think things get interesting. What are you excited about, though, this year? Like from a, from a UX tool, design tool, not developer tools, what are you interested in? and getting into this year like me personally 
Um, well, not you privately. <laughs> I, I like Miro a lot. I, I have enjoyed using it at work. Become a Miro power and user. I don't know that I'll use it that much. But I, I like the freedom that it gives me to like lay stuff out. Previous to this, I used Dia, like the diagramming tool for doing flowcharts and stuff. Or like UML diagrams. And Miro definitely has all of that stuff, but like it feels a lot more freeing. I like getting stuff from Envision and um, XD. It's helpful. Um, I would like to learn XD better this year. I think that would be one of my big ones. I don't know that I'll use. I, I should try it out. I, maybe it would be useful for me, but I, I haven't used it and I don't have. I mean, you are fairly to use it. like I, I tend to do a lot I'm of front and back end stuff. You do mostly yeah. back end. So, I mean, I get it that you're not I'm, really in that steeped into it. Yeah, I. um. If I was in charge of conducting uh, like usability testing at scale, I would want to look at some of those other products and see what they had to offer and if that would help me get more information. Um, but I could definitely see you just using Zoom again. Yeah. I, I just, I, I really like, I like being right at the front and seeing what's happening. And I, I think it's part of the reason I don't use a lot of the modern IDEs that do so much automation for you. Even if it's time saving, like I, I like having my mental model be current with whatever it is that I'm working. I'm, I said I'm interested in XD. I am interested in getting a lot more into Fractal this year. Uh, I've, I've done some, a couple pretty cool things with it, and started realizing how much power it has beyond what I thought it could do. And so I'm pretty mm -hmm. interested in taking the uh, design system we've been building at work and codifying it into now the, you know, the artifacts the tokens, whatever uh, language you, you use for that. The other one that I want to throw out there, didn't make it into the, uh, into the survey results, but I think it deserves a place in there, is GA4, which is what? Google Analytics 4. It's the new version of Google Analytics. There was a Google Analytics 2 and 3? Uh, arguably. I, I don't know where the cutoffs were during all. I mean, <laughs> it has changed over the years and, and had a couple of big updates. Yeah, I've seen that. GA4 yeah. is a hard cut, though. Like it's And if you go make a, an analytics uh, account right now, a profile, it'll drive you into GA4. Um, and hmm. we're going to talk about it on a future episode and, and the changes and whatnot that it's brought to it. But it changes some very specific and occasionally irritating things about analytics. And in my mind, analytics are one of the most important pieces of the puzzle to informing your UX and your design, because that's how you make educated choices. That's how you, again, to use that word scent, analytics can be the first thing that gives you scent that there may be a problem in a goal funnel, on a page, on a, a feature that you're trying to have people use. And now, like one of the big ones in GA4, everything's an event now. Every interaction on a page is an event. There is, it used to be huh. anything could be an event, but you had to make it that way. You had to tell yeah. analytics an event was happening. Now, everything's an event and it just happens. And so you can now track that just natively in. Um, there's a lot of neat stuff in there for that. So I'm I'm kind of excited to dig into that a lot deeper and see 
what that can do for us on a design and usability front because you're sort of outside of asking people that's you know the first signal that you get that something may or may not be wrong so you tell us what do you think a what are you most excited to use this coming year uh, what's in your toolkit do you agree that figma is the big boy on the block and will continue to be the big boy on the block um, do you agree with the results or, or would you fall somewhere else along any of those spectrums uh, let us know in the meantime kick back for just a second we're going to take a quick break and be right back the drunken UX podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud NewCloud is an industry leading interactive map provider who has been building location based solutions for organizations for a decade Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. Thanks for listening, everyone. What was that, what was that word you just used? What did you say? Was there an H in listening? Listening? Uh... Listening. Listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. You shiny people. Um, Let me just say that this Finnish sniper drink is very potent. Um, I have had one this entire show. Would you say that you you finished it? (laughs) It finished me. (laughs) I'm going to go take a nap after this, I think. Or maybe just go I, say, to sleep. I, I, I don't think know which. it's called going to bed at this hour, but okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to come talk to us about your favorite beverages for forgetting things, um, you can connect with us on Facebook or Twitter.com slash drunken UX or Instagram slash drunken UX podcast. Or chuckunux.com slash discord. I'm really embarrassed how hard that was. Oh, to this get is out. entertaining to watch, though, I assure you. <laughs> Folks, if you are using any of these tools, you know, the advice that's, I think, always pertinent is don't put all your eggs in any one basket. Figma is here today, could be gone tomorrow. As you saw in one of the results, you know, we went from Envision uh, two years ago to uh, Sketch last year to Figma this year as the top used tool. Some of these things, while it may look like they are here to stay, could be very fleeting. Um, As we saw this year, you know, with uh, uh, Salesforce coming in and and buying Slack, you know, tools will move around. Um, You know, Adobe may decide, hey, we really like Figma and we want to be in this game, so we're just going to buy Figma and make it XD. Keep that stuff in mind because when you're planning out your work for the year when you're trying to figure out what's worth learning what's worth you know keeping an eye on always good to sort of dabble around when you're investigating these things and and be flexible if you need to jump ship or or try something else Um, because 
one thing, I mean, none of these tools are going to help you keep your personas close and your units oh. closer. <laughs> <laughs> totally didn't see that coming. Bye-bye. <laughs>